Welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. All right, welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with me, John Carroll. Today, we are discussing the intensity mindset, recovery, and Morpheus with Joel Jameson. Welcome, Joel. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. And uh, Joel, you're, you're into uh, flying helicopters, correct? I am into flying helicopters as, as often as possible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I actually heard that. I think it was on Mike Robertson's podcast. I heard that before, yeah. Yeah, I took, uh, I took actually, I don't think I took Mike flying the helicopter. I took Bill Hartman flying the helicopter. And I took uh, I took Mike flying in a seaplane I have. So right. I know, I've, I've I've taken quite a few play people flying over the years. So it uh, it's always fun to take new people up who've never been in been one or the other and fly them around. Right, right. And uh, for those listening, Joel, can you just give a quick little background to yourself and your current position? Yeah, you know, I started in this field back in early two thousands at the University of Washington. Primarily working with strength athletes, and, and was mentored by a, a guy named Bill Gillespie, who's who's one of the greats, one of the all-time greats in terms of strength, and multiple world record holder in powerlifting, and and uh, spent some time with the Seahawks, and then decided to open my own gym, and that's kind of where my whole career turned because I ended up working with combat athletes, and and to be honest, I had no experience with combat athletes, so I had to learn by doing, and jumped in and started training with them, and quickly realized that the way I thought conditioning worked and the way it actually worked were two different things so I spent a number of years really just studying conditioning the art and science and the coaching working with a lot of uh, top level fighters from different 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 uh, organizations across the world uh, 2011 developed some technology called BioForce to help measure and monitor fatigue and kind of got into the technology side of things I wrote a book ultimate conditioning so I started working on helping coaches online because there was so much misinformation about conditioning out there and, and there was a lot of things that people were doing that uh, I didn't necessarily think were effective so I started trying to help people online and, and coaches all over the place doing lectures and writing and just kind of doing a variety of things so you know, over the years I would say I've done just about everything you can think of in fitness from coaching and lecturing to developing the, the technology and, and writing and doing just, just about everything really right right how often are you getting out to uh, to lecture these days um you know, i definitely do a few a year i just got back from costa rica actually last week i did a seminar down there i probably do i don't know four to five maybe six seminars a year for a couple of days then we have our our online certification course that comes out a couple times a year so i, I still do quite a bit yeah yeah i remember i went to, to uh ifas to take your conditioning course that would uh mike and bill out there yeah that was a good course yeah that was, that was uh, a while ago but yeah uh, yeah the, that kind of stuff still Still doing a lot of that and still doing the online thing and developing, like we you know, talk about Morpheus and just kind of really do a variety of things. Yeah, yeah. So before we delve deep into the uh, the intensity mindset, recovery of Morpheus and everything that goes with that, there's one question I've always wondered, Joel, and is there any Irish to your name, Jameson? No, it's Scottish, actually. It's Scottish, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been doing some family research and there's a million jamesons that i'm related to in some little town called paisley over there that uh one of these days i'll have to take a take a trip and find but uh no it's all it's all scottish okay okay i know the irish jameson is more es instead of ies so i guess that's the difference there but yep interesting but i've, I've been i've been to both countries so they're 
They're both uh, good places to visit, but which uh, one, exciting to get back. Which uh, one did you enjoy uh, more? Um, you know, the, the weather's been rainy pretty much the same both times. I mean, <laughs> every time I've been there, so um, yeah, I, I like them both. Honestly, they're, yeah. they're they were uh, they're both fun to visit. I did did a tour to Scottish Highlands. I've been to Dublin three or four times and driven to the countryside. I've been to Dublin and Ireland quite a bit more than Scotland, so. Yeah. Well, I'll say that, but uh, I like them both. Okay, very good. All right, so a little uh, icebreaker question that we do here on the podcast just to kind of get things rolling. Uh, my one for you today is, Joe, what was your biggest aha moment thus far in your strength conditioning career? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I'll kind of go back to the beginning. Back in 2000, I want to say it's 2001 or 2002, uh, I was first introduced to heart rate variability in this technology. And the short story is I was I met up with this Russian guy in a hotel and he told me to lay down and, and take my shirt off, and he started plugging electric <laughs> up to me, and I, I thought it was a, like a practical joke or right. something was, was going on, but I'd been told by an experienced coach I should go meet this guy, and he plugs me into this computer and pushes a bunch of buttons, and next thing I know, he's telling me about my recovery levels and my conditioning levels and all sorts of information. And again, this is way before you know even cell phones were around or we had any of this technology and he was able to discern this information purely from, you know, measuring things through electrodes. And it was really the first, I instantly thought this is the future of fitness. This is, you know, what the, what we've all been working for. Cause up to that point, you know, and if you're not using any technology, you're, you're essentially just kind of, you know, guessing and going by feel. But that was the first time where I actually saw true application of science. And I saw that you know, there's, there's more to training than, uh, you know, just kind of guessing and seeing what happens. And so that was really kind of the start of what pushed me to understand more about stress and heart rate variability and recovery and kind of where the whole thing started. So I'd, I'd say that was probably the most aha because to that point, you know, it never even occurred to me that was even possible. And the whole heart rate variability, that came from uh, Russians in space. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, it did actually. It was it was developed back in like the, the 50s and 60s and they – they essentially were trying to devise a way to evaluate the health of their astronauts when they were up in space, and they basically realized the only thing they could do was look at the heart rate, and they somehow de derived basically that behind the heart rate number itself, there was more information, and they essentially decoded that through heart rate variability and were able to you know, basically measure and evaluate the stress and the fatigue and the changes in people's physiology as they went into space. That so was used by the very first human being in space, a Russian named Yuri Gagarin, Mm -hmm. uh, back in the 60s and you know, it's been around for for that long of a period of time it's taken you know 50 60 years before it really got into the sports application but uh, yeah it's it's not some new technology it's been around for a long, long time yeah yeah awesome so delving into conditioning stress and heart rate variability was there was there one thing in particular that kind of made you go down that kind of rabbit hole as opposed to just like strength conditioning in general or was it just based on that experience uh kind of trying it for yourself um you know i've always just I'm, I, I always want to unlock the black box i hate not knowing what's in the box that's just kind of my personality if if there's a mystery i want to solve it if, if something can be decoded and i can figure how it works i want to figure out how it works and to me uh looking at heart rate variability and looking inside the black box of how the human body worked was so fundamentally intriguing uh to me that i couldn't stop i mean once i saw that i could actually measure the effects of a workout inside the body rather than just seeing how much more they could lift or how much more they could run. Once I saw that that was possible, you know, it really just kind of opened up Pandora's box and I had to keep going because I just wanted to understand, you know, why does the body respond the way that it does? Why do we see the things that we see? You know, and up to that point, it was just 
like I said, lots of guesswork and who knows really what the answer is. So I just really like the mystery solving of it, I guess. So can you kind of get into a little detail on what heart rate variability tells us about the body and recovery and levels of preparedness in, in general? Yeah, so heart rate variability, like I talked about, it's it's measuring essentially the underlying signal behind the heart rate. And what that shows us is how the human body is directing energy and how the human body is fundamentally responding to stress. And when I'm talking about stress, I'm talking about all stress, whether it's training, whether it's the mental stress of life, whether it's sleep, whether it's nutrition, all those things have an impact on how the body distributes energy and how the body essentially functions. And the way that it does that is through two different branches of what's called the autonomic nervous system. The sympathetic system, which most people think of as the fight or flight, and when that system's activated, it's directing energy towards dealing with stress, just the fight or flight system. On the other hand, there's the parasympathetic system, and that system is the rest and digest, the rest and recovery system. And that system ultimately directs energy into recovery and adaptation and regeneration. So what heart rate variability does is tells us the activity level of that parasympathetic nervous system. So it tells us if the body is directing energy towards stress, which would mean parasympathetic low, or if the body is directing energy into recovery, which would be more parasympathetic high, uh, relatively speaking. So it just gives us an insight, it gives us a window into what the body is doing. And we can see over time where energy is being expended, whether it's going towards just lots of mental stress and there's not enough left over to go into recovery, which I call the recovery debt, or if the body's recovering well, it's getting better, it's putting energy into the recovery side of things and you know, it's seeing continued improvement. So it allows us to see the balance of, of what's going on and where the body's choosing to put its energy into and it allows us to see you know, how much stress someone's under, what fatigue levels they have, you know, whether or not they're actually improving, what's appropriate for a training load, all those sorts of things that it provides you know the best overall snapshot of, of really human performance right and that's uh, that's vitally important when it comes to obviously training but also life in general right so uh like yourself you you train predominantly athletes for myself it's more 80 20 with gen pop and athletes so the intensity mindset that you've talked about before i come up against that a lot can you kind of go into the intensity mindset and why it's kind of destined to fail yeah, I mean, I think it's it's human nature to think if, if some is good, then, then more is better. And over the last, you know, I don't know, five, ten years, we've had this high-intensity mindset kind of driven into popular culture of fitness where we think, you know, the, the key to results is just harder, harder, go harder, go more intensity, more intensity, more intensity. People try it, and ultimately what you find is that the human body is not really designed to respond to lots and lots of intensity over a long period of time without ultimately breaking. And... You know, most people that have tried this for some period of time have, have ultimately figured that out. They end up fatigued and tired. They, you know, they're sore all the time. Ultimately, their fitness doesn't keep improving indefinitely. They, they may get injured or start having little nagging problems here and there. And the reason is simply because the training itself is the stimulus, but it's the recovery where all the things actually improve and get better. And what, what I've come to realize and what the research is showing is that there's a limited amount of energy your body can produce in a day. If you go out and spend... 2,000 calories crushing yourself doing a high-intensity workout, your body still has to have enough energy just for basic metabolic needs. There's not enough energy left to go into actual recovery where you're going to improve from the work you did. So you know, a lot of it comes down to, again, just, it's energy management. And if all you do is go in the gym and, and kill yourself every day and, and think that intensity is the only thing that matters, you're, you're ultimately going to reach that point where you end up broken and run down and fatigued. And that's you know, ultimately where a lot of people do get to that try it. I mean, if you're, if you're 18 or 22 years old, you can probably sustain it longer than if you're 30 or 35 or 40 or, or above. 
but ultimately that that approach that mindset doesn't work because it's just not fundamentally built on how the body was designed it's designed to train and then recover and then train and then recover and the recovery is where again the body actually gets better and so many people are putting so much time into the training and so much energy into the intensity that they're lacking in the recovery side so they never actually see the benefits of, of all their hard work well have you come up against this intensity mindset and the people you train and, and kind of how have you gone about maybe trying to change their mindset so to speak yeah, I mean, you definitely run into it, and uh, you know, I think, fortunately or unfortunately, have you look at it in the last few years, so many people have tried it that you eventually get most people at some point or have you know have run up against that wall where they have hit some sort of an overtraining stage or they have started hitting injuries, and really it's just they didn't make the connection. You know, that the reason those things happen, the reason they got overtrained, the reason they you know, now have a shoulder injury or back injury was because they tried that intensity mindset and didn't work for them. So a lot of it's just about helping people see the big picture. Uh, you know, a lot of times if you, if you literally kind of explain to them what happened and why recovery is where they actually improve and get better and how the body works and they're a lot more receptive to it, then really it comes down to just trying it and, and incorporating some recovery workouts into your program, having a better mix of volumes and intensities and just giving them a chance to feel a difference. And often the first thing they notice is, wow, I feel so much better. And once you get someone to say that, it's, a, it's an easy, easy sell. You know, if, if they're coming to you thinking that all that they need to do is get pushed and run into the ground, then, you know, you've really got to start out having that conversation earlier. But I think that the big thing is, is like I said, you can get people to feel better. I mean, fitness shouldn't make you feel exhausted and fatigued and sore all the time. I mean, sure, it's part of it, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to actually get better. So, you know, a lot of times it's just having the conversation with people, setting the right expectations, providing the education and letting them feel it for themselves. Yeah, I think the the big piece moving forward for a lot of coaches and, and just people in general is the education aspect, right? And and knowing what you're actually trying to achieve when you're training. It doesn't have to be a, I'm going to kill you every session type of approach. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then I mean, that's the thing, too, is a lot of times you ask people, well, have you, have you improved? Well, not really. <laughs> okay, well, then let's try something different, right? I mean, they're... Yeah. A lot of times they're, they're training just to go through the motions or they think that's what they should be doing. But if you haven't actually improved, you haven't reached your goals and you're just tired and sore all the time, you know, when you point that out to them and get them to see that, a lot of times they're they're more open to try it. But, you know, I also have – I've probably had the luxury of most people come or want to work with me or ask questions because they've tried every other thing and it hasn't worked. So they're they're more receptive and open to it from the start. But, you know, like I said, I think, I think, I think most people at this point have, have tried – a lot of high intensity and seeing the you know ultimate failure of it sooner or later and there people are looking for something different now which is what i think you know you've seen the crossfit gyms um you know at least the good ones have changed their mentality you're seeing more and more recovery stuff and regeneration you're seeing salt i mean i don't know about over there but you're seeing you know float tanks and meditation yeah. apps and mindfulness you're seeing all these things start to pop up because people are looking for it right because people have broke themselves down and they, and they need to be able to build themselves back up so i think just the the fact that all these things are popping up is a testament to the fact that people are looking for it. Exactly. The uh, I think the age-old question of, you know, what does a good workout mean to you? To, you know, if you ask someone who's coming into a gym, most of the time it's going to be one that, you know, works them pretty hard, you know. But on the other side of things, in their daily life, you know, they're going to a job, they're in traffic, and that is that stress is taking energy away from what they can do in the gym. And I don't think that's taken into account when they actually step foot in the gym. Absolutely. You know, that's that's probably the second aha moment I had is when I started actually using heart rate variability with people, you know, 15 plus years ago, whatever it was, and seeing exactly that. I would I would train somebody 
I would not push them very hard oftentimes. And then I would have them come back the next day and they would look absolutely fatigued and, and just destroyed. And I couldn't figure out why. Right. And then you talk to them and they're, Oh, I had a deadline. I was up until four in the morning and then I was at work at you know seven in the morning and I drank a bunch of coffee and I've just been fried all day. And you started to, I started to quickly see, wow, everything that was happening outside the gym had a much bigger impact on their fitness and their health than what I was doing in the gym. Because the reality is, they were seeing me for an hour. It was the other 23 hours in me that really made the difference. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the big, you know, big aha that resulted from the first aha was just seeing how much more impact, you know, everything outside the gym has on people than they realize. It's fundamentally what drives everything because it's, it's the vast majority of your time is spent just living your life. Training is a very small percentage of that. So if you don't have your lifestyle in order and you're spending all your energy and mental stress and you have to adjust your programming accordingly. You can't just slap two things on top of each other. They have to be complementary rather than competitive. Right. Right. And just kind of having that penny drop for people in relation to energy. And like you mentioned before, the, the body doesn't have this infinite amount of energy to just spend on whatever we want to do. Like there's, there's a cap, right? Yeah, there's, there's absolutely a cap and it's generally speaking, it's a bit lower than, People think I've mentioned some research where they, you know, they essentially looked at how much energy people expend in a day relative to their activity levels, and it, it plateaus fairly quickly. And what basically what that means is, kind of once you go from on the couch to moving around, you definitely do, you know, increase your energy expenditure. But once you go from moving around a fair amount to moving around a whole lot, you actually don't increase your total energy expenditure. You just take energy away from one area and use it to facilitate the energy or facilitate the the movement, the activity, but you're ultimately robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're stealing energy from recovery to move you around and do more intensity. So, you know, again, you're ultimately not able to fully realize the benefits because you don't have the energy to actually recover and see the, see the improvements. So we, we kind of talked a little bit already intensity mindset, but now you, you've introduced what's called the recovery mindset or the recovery driven mindset. Can you kind of discuss what you're trying to get across when you talk about that? Yeah, I'm just trying to get across simply that there's two sides, right, to the equation. It's it is the training and the stress that comes with training, but then we also have to have a proactive approach into increasing facilitating recovery as well. Like we can't just ask ourselves, okay, how do I get better fitness? Okay, well I need to train harder, I need to do more sets, I need to do different exercises, I need to do this workout versus that workout. Everyone's looking purely at the workout as the tool. No one's looking at the other side, which is, hey, how do I facilitate recovery? How do I actually get the most out of the training that I did? How do I get my body into that recovery state where, you know, again, recovery is optimized and what sort of methods can I use to do that? So it's it's more about just looking at both sides of the equation and understanding that you have to put time, energy, and effort into recovering, not just in if you want to get the best results. So it's, it's starting with making sure that we are not just going to the gym and training as hard as we can, that we're also looking at all these other factors that are related to recovery and making sure that we're actually putting our efforts into all areas, not just the training or the intensity side of things. And and so far, you know, we've we've been I've been talking about this for for several months now and lectured about it and and uh, you know developed some technology around it and the results I'm getting emails literally every single day of, of people saying how much better they feel, they're training less, but they're recovering more, the fitness is improving faster than ever. I mean once you kind of put this mindset into effect, it just changes how you view your overall fitness program because now you start thinking, okay, it's not just about the gym or pushing myself as hard as I can. It's also about making sure my nutrition is going to facilitate my recovery, making sure my sleep schedule is what it needs to be, making sure I'm doing active recovery workouts at the gym, making sure I'm doing some regeneration, making sure I'm doing all these things that ultimately get you better results. And it's not just a matter of going to the gym and train hard. It's also 
recover and put energy into that as well. Right. I will say the people that I coach who have been open to incorporating like some steady state work in the days they don't see me and, you know, kind of more cardiac output type uh, activity, they definitely realize the benefit of it and feel better afterwards too. And, you know, have, have mentioned things like, you know, better sleep and just the general ability to recover, not only from the workouts, but be able to cope with more in life in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons uh, I mentioned it, but heart rate variability, that the number, you know, the, the ability to recover is what's represented in heart rate variability. So the higher your heart rate variability, the better your body can recover. And there's a number of research papers out there that show that higher heart rate variability is linked to increased life expectancy, decreased risk of stroke, decreased body fat, all these sorts of things. And the reason is because recovery is such a vitally important driver of, of not just fitness, but but all of health. And a lot of times, you know, there's there's reasons why kind of lower intensity and moderate intensity and, and doing these sorts of things build up heart rate variability. They build up your ability to cope with stress and to recover from it and focusing on recovery. Again, that's how you develop the body's ability to recover is by training it. So a lot of times, you know, like you said, if people start actually implementing some of these things, the first thing they notice is, oh, I, I feel better. I'm sleeping better. My yeah. skin's better. I'm not getting sick anymore. I mean, all these little things start to all click into place and then you know it's, it's easy to to get them to buy into it once they've once they've noticed the difference in their lives yeah so you mentioned uh the recovery debt a little bit earlier as well and in one of your articles you mentioned how a lot of people who may not be seeing the results they wish to in the gym or with their training are probably in a recovery debt what does that exactly mean joel yeah it just means that over a period of time you know again since since the amount of energy you can produce in a day is is limited. It's the same thing as, you know, if you spend more money than you make, then ultimately you're going to go into debt. If you put all your energy into dealing with life stress and just your basic metabolic needs and you break the body down and you don't put the time and energy and effort into building back up, what we ultimately see is people get this of chronic low heart rate variability, or they get chronic inflammation, and they just never quite make any real progress despite the fact that they're working hard. And we see that over and over again. And how many times do you see people take like a two-week break of training and they come back and they're in way better shape? And all of a sudden, they're stronger, like they feel better. Yeah. That's because they were in this chronic recovery debt where they could never quite get the body to fully recover and improve. And that's kind of the hallmark of it. If you take a week or two off and all of a sudden your numbers shoot up, you probably could have done that months ago. You were probably in this chronic state of overreaching or chronic state of recovery debt where you never quite gave your body a chance to see the improvements that it could have seen. So, um, you know, again, it just means – if you if you spend more time and energy and effort into the training than into the recovery, then ultimately your body just never quite fully recovers, and you're never actually getting better, despite the fact that you're you're going to the gym and training hard and doing things. And then, I mean, how many times you see that all the time? People spin their wheels, they train hard, but they're not really improving. And the answer is because they've never given their body a chance to see those improvements by putting the energy into recovery. I always feel like that type of person or someone in that situation. They kind of get frustrated with their program. They're not seeing the results. So they're kind of jumping from program to program. They're always searching for, you know, trying yep. to see, you know, success and what they're doing. But if they just back off a little bit and maybe, like you said, train to recover, they'll see a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that's, that's the biggest, that's kind of one of the things you can always mention to people is, hey, have you ever taken a break of training for a week or two and come back and felt stronger? A lot of people, oh, yeah, yeah, I took a vacation. I came back also stronger. Well, that's because you never gave your yeah. body a chance to recover. And, you could have saved yourself months of, of effort if you had taken that break earlier 
and, and had a bit different approach so that you didn't end up in that recovery debt in the first place. Right. So if someone's listening to this and they're kind of putting or connecting the dots, so to speak, like maybe they're saying, okay, I'm looking back, I've had this injury and this injury, and I'm not kind of seeing the results I want to, and I've been pushing, pushing, pushing in the gym. Um, my life is pretty stressful. What is your advice to that person? Like what do they need to incorporate? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing is is just making sure you understand the connection between what happens in the gym and outside the gym. So if you go into your daily routine and you have a stressful day at work, you can't just go into the gym and add 10 times more stress on top of that. So the, the very first thing to do is adjust your training to your lifestyle and, and not try to force the two on top of each other. If, like I said, if you're fatigued, go into the gym and use it as a chance to help recovery by doing low intensity steady state, by doing some mobility exercises, by doing some of the uh, respiratory drills to help facilitate better breathing and better recovery. Look at the gym as a place not just to train, but also to improve recovery. So I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but go to the gym with a different mindset than uh, you know than thinking you have to go in and, and run yourself into the ground just because you want to work out the stress of the day. The reality is you're just adding way more stress on top of it and slowing your recovery down even more. Um, and then the second thing is I can tell you after looking at lots and lots of data over lots and lots of years, the vast majority of people out there are not going to recover very well from more than two what I would consider true high-intensity sessions a week. And by high-intensity, I'm talking about greater than 90% of their one rep max that are lifting and greater than 90% of their maximum heart rate doing conditioning. If you're doing those types of activities you know, more than twice a week, chances are sooner or later it's going to catch up with you. Now, a professional athlete who's got great genetics and has less stress in their life and has nutrition and sleep, you know, sometimes a lot of times they can, they can handle three of those sessions a week for a period of time, but most people by and large are going to see much better results with two true high-intensity sessions a week and then a couple lower-intensity recovery sessions and some accessory work, you know, kind of in between that. And I can tell you for years of looking at data and, and seeing these trends that anytime someone tries to do high-intensity more than two or three times a week, they're just a ticking time bomb before they either get hurt, break down, get a plateau, or some combination of, of all of those. So if you start with the idea that I'm going to do two high-intensity sessions a week, I'm going to do some lower-intensity stuff in between to help recover and some accessory work. If you start with that mentality and then you look at putting your life with your training versus considering them completely separate, you'll, you'll be much, much better off in the long run. So we, uh, where I work at the training room here in Boston, we're just uh, starting off. I'm bringing a class in where we're doing basically like your high-performance recovery training. And we're offering it on a Friday evening. So we're trying to, you know, slowly kind of educate people as to this will be a nice gateway to your weekend, kind of tone you down and, and let you recover over the weekend. So hopefully, hopefully we'll get the message across. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great idea. And I think the more, the more coaches start to offer that, the more gyms start to have those sorts of classes and things available. And the more people see and feel the benefits of it, the, the more it'll, it'll grow and catch on. Because like I said, ultimately people should and they do get into fitness because they want to feel better they want to look better they want to live longer all those sorts of things and they just kind of get into this routine because the fitness industry pushes this idea on you that you have to feel bad and feel tired and feel sore and no pain no gain it's just kind of ingrained in you once you get in the fitness industry that this is how it is yeah and once once you start to break away from that and you're like wait a minute i i feel better because i'm not killing myself and i'm actually improving faster i think once you get people to just break that cycle and actually start to get those results and feel better it's again it, it catches on and uh, you know i think the more and more gyms and trainers and coaches try this sort of stuff the more we're going to see people doing it yeah so let's go into morpheus joel and fill people in on what exactly morpheus is and the reason you you uh, you brought that out yeah so morpheus in, in a nutshell i call it a, a digital recovery coach and what that means is 
it's a way to look at the big picture of your life and then let Morpheus essentially tell you what your recovery looks like based on it. So it looks at your sleep, it looks at your training, it looks at your heart rate variability, it looks at your activity level, it looks at how you tell what you feel, and then it gives you a recovery score for the day. So, you know, 0% mean basically you're, you're dead, and 100% meaning you're, you're fully recovered. It's going to give you somewhere in between, and then it's going to give you some recommended heart rate zones. So it gives you a green zone where if you get in your green zone, you're going to improve your conditioning. Get in your blue zone, you're going to improve your recovery and get in your red zone if you really want to push yourself to the limit. But, of course, if you push yourself too much time in the red zone over time, that's where you get the recovery debt. So it just it helps tie together the pieces of your life and it helps interpret the data because there's so much data floating around. And people have been using fitness trackers for years now, really just kind of collecting the data to collect the data and not really knowing what it means or what it's telling them or the story that's you know behind it. So. What I want to do is give people a way to objectively use that information to make their programming better and to help you know, improve their lifestyle and their habits. So first, just being able to see you know, what your activity and your sleep and your training and your recovery and your heart rate, what, being able to see kind of how all those pieces fit together and then being able to use that information to improve your specific programming, I think is incredibly powerful. And, and so far, you know, people have, have used it, have said exactly that, that they really like being able to see all their numbers in one place. They like being able to have the, the recommended heart rate zones for training. They like being able to uh, transform the data they've been collecting but not doing anything with it into something usable and actionable. And, and uh, I really, you know, I, I think it's, it's something to help people kind of follow what their body should do rather than trying to fight against it all the time. So it's actually giving them real data to go off of as opposed to, well, I, I can kind of push through it today, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's accountability tools, much anything else. And it helps you kind of fight that urge of, oh, I, I, I stressed out at work today. I need to go, I need to go kill myself. And you quickly see, you know, recovery. You, need to, you start doing that, your recovery score is going to plummet. Um, and then what it also does, what I think is really valuable, is after your workout, it's going to show you what you did by adjusting your recovery score. So, you know, if you're 90% recovered and you go to the gym, you train real hard, great. You know, it might show you're a 75 afterwards or an 80 or whatever, depending on how hard you push yourself. And that gives you an objective gauge of how hard and how much stress the workout actually was for you. And then the second thing is if you go in and do a recovery workout, you actually will see your recovery score typically improve by a few points. So, you know, if you are feeling tired, if you are fatigued, your recovery score is lower, you can go in the gym, you can do a recovery workout in the blue zone that Morpheus gives you for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. All of a sudden your recovery score goes up. And it's, again, it's, it's a recognition of, of the value of putting time into that recovery side of things and seeing your recovery score yeah. actually improve that's something we've seen people say wow i felt it was really great to see my recovery score improve after my workout it helps reinforce the benefits of doing that sort of work and seeing that immediacy of you know the the reward of what you just did so it's um you know i think it's it's like I said, it's mostly just a it's, a it's a great tool to help people put their life a piece of their life together and to transform data and numbers into the actual workout and making better workout decisions and choices because that's what I've seen lacking is you know everyone's collecting steps and looking at heart rates and looking at sleep but no one was doing anything with it it's just a bunch of numbers on the screen I really wanted to build something that would help people bridge that gap between their lifestyle and the gym because like I said the two are so connected and, and like I said most people don't necessarily see that connection as, as strongly as it actually is so now they can see again how all these things affect their recovery and then how their recovery affects what they should be doing in the gym versus just kind of considering all their their life, you know, separate from the gym versus their work stress and their sleep. It's all connected because it's all related back to energy and how the body chooses to spend that limited amount of energy that's got. So overall, um, like I said, we've we've had it out there for a couple months now, and we're still working out little 
bugs here and there, but uh, you know, so far the people have been using it have really liked it, and we're going to continue to make it better. Yeah, it's uh, and you had the the HRV app out before, and so it's kind of like the next step and the the constant evolving cycle, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we had we had BioForce HRV for since 2011 12 so several years and you know we had a million and a half uh, data points of heart rate variability so we essentially kind of built morpheus from the trends and the information we learned from that and you know as great as bioforce was it, it gave you heart rate variability it gave you some indications of recovery readiness uh, but what was missing is again tying together the rest of people's lives and then giving them specific things to do in the gym and that's really what morpheus you know takes the next level is giving you those recovery zones and your conditioning zone and your your specific heart rate zone. So you go in the workout, you know, you know how hard to push yourself based on your recovery and you're allowed, you're allowed to see these pieces come together. And, and again, it's, it was, uh, that was what I felt was missing kind of in BioForce was, was what to do in the gym. And that's what we're really focused on Morpheus. So the next version will be, you know, a, a trainer gym version where you'll be able to see all your, all your clients, all the people you work with in one spot. And then eventually we'll have a group training solution where you'd see everyone's heart rates, up on a big screen and see what zones are in and all that sort of stuff. So it's just the progression, I think, of uh, you know personalized group yeah. coaching and personalization in general, because that's what it comes down to. I mean, everyone's everybody's different. You know, you can't assume that 50 people are going to respond the same way to the same program. It's a matter of figuring out how do we leverage technology to help us push people to their individual limits without pushing them over and making sure that everybody in a group is getting the right amount of training and the right type of training versus you know, putting everybody to the exact same thing and hoping for the best because ultimately some people are going to see great results and some people are going to be pushed too hard. Some people aren't going to be pushed hard enough. I mean, that's the challenge always is, is how do you individualize, you know, small and large groups? And the answer is we have to develop technology and make it possible. Yeah, I think that's great because like you said, uh, the one-size-fits-all fitness approach is, is good to a certain point and then it's just it's too much, you know. So I think having a little bit more catered individually, it will be great moving forward, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, plus, you know, in the, in the group setting, it gives it gives people accountability because if they don't sleep and they don't eat well and they you know, don't do the things they need to do outside the gym, they're going to they're going to see the impacts of that. So just just seeing that alone, you know, oftentimes gets people into to making better decisions and they want to go to sleep because they want to get their recovery score up or they you know don't want to have that last drink alcohol because they know they're going to HRVs and go tank in the morning. So it starts to you know just have an impact in their, their everyday life because they start to make better decisions once they see the the results of their bad ones. So I will say I was very happy when you came out with the the finger sensor for the the heart rate monitor instead of the heart rate strap because I used to wake up every morning and put the heart rate strap on and wake my wife and get this <laughs> dirty look. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very glad when the finger sensor came out. So going off those 1.5 million data points, are we a, a nation of under-recovered people? Or? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would I would say... It's hard to say, you know, how much BioForce and Morpheus database represents the nation because you're 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 finding people are actively seeking this stuff out, so yeah. they're, they're they're naturally a bit more inclined to be aware of recovery and to be aware of tracking. That's why they're that's why they're buying Morpheus or why they bought BioForce. Um, but like so the biggest thing we found was just the number of people that would try to do three or four days a week and then would tank was was higher than it certainly needs to be, and that's kind of where we started getting behind the idea of look twice a week high intensity is really what 90% of the population needs and what we need to reinforce is, is more is not always better. So now that we have biggest things we didn't have with BioForce, we didn't have sleep. We didn't have activity. We really didn't have training. We didn't have all the information. We, what we, all we really had was, was HRV and the recovery that came with it. Now that we have 
the big picture of people's lives, we can start looking at a lot deeper levels of information. We can start seeing, you know, what, how much do people sleep and how much does sleep impact their recovery and how much, you know, do people train in these different zones? We have a whole lot more information with Morpheus. So now we can actually really kind of put the, the data to work and, and make Morpheus smarter and smarter and, and be able to give people specific recommendations in terms of, hey, spend this many minutes in your green zone today or spend this much time in recovery per week or go to bed at this time. And we can start to just really kind of hone in on, on what are the key things that people need to be doing and giving them more specific guidance and recommendations. And once we can crunch all the numbers and, you know, basically see what people respond best to and what people don't. Yeah. I love it. More is not better. That's definitely a, a message I'm, I'm trying to get across in a, in a very tactful way, you know, but it can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, it is. I mean, people are, people are people. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's human nature to think that if someone's good, more is better. Right. I mean, that's just kind of right. how we're hardwired in some ways, but, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just, it's just coming down to education and, and getting someone to buy into the culture and the philosophy you built. And, you know, particularly for people out there that have gyms, you know, it comes down to how do you build the culture in your gym? How do you build the the relationships that you have with your clients? And if there's the trust there and there's a philosophy and a message that they, they're going to buy into, I mean, they'll buy into it. It's just, it's got to be there. You've got to have a, a mission. You've got to have a, a vision. You've got to have something that your your clients and the people around you are all you know bought into and recovery yeah. needs to be a part of that and if you, you you build that right then then people will will listen and people will do what you ask them to because you know, that's what they're there for ultimately yeah. is to to get better yeah so if you have a staff of people who are definitely into pushing it some days but also are able to explain the benefit of the recovery side of things then i think you you'd see a lot of people kind of mixing up both both the sides of the training equation yeah, absolutely. It comes down to, like I said, it just comes down to the culture you build in your gym. Right. And right. that's ultimately what makes your gym successful. It's what separates you. Separate your gym. If you have the same exact mentality as every other gym in the face of the earth, then you're competing with every other gym in the face of the earth. And, you know, if you have a bit of a different take on things and you have a culture built around training, recovery, regeneration, and wellness, then you're ultimately going to get the people that are looking for those things. And you're going to have a, a you know an advantage because your people aren't going to be burnt out and injured and turned over all the time. And that's, that's ultimately why the CrossFit gyms are, you know, a lot of times folding essentially is because it just burned through people and doesn't work in the long yeah. run. So people are, you know, I think that the good crossroad gyms and the good gyms in general are, again, they're starting to, to see the benefits and see the need to have a different, different mindset and different approach. And you're, you're seeing that start to take place. So I think over the next few years, it's just going to keep growing. All right. So we, uh, we mentioned a little bit about sleep and, and stress and everything thus far that we include in the four pillars of health here on the podcast. So we're going to kind of delve into you personally, Joel, and uh, we'll, we'll, tackle the first one let's go into sleep and how you personally manage and go about getting the, the best sleep you can yeah i mean i have a bunch of stuff i do i first of all i try to be as um, routine in my schedule and i'm actually a late night person so i, I typically don't go to bed until between 2 and 3 a.m but I, I get up around 11 pretty much every day so I, I pretty much always get at least seven or eight hours of sleep uh, it's pretty rare that i that i don't get that um i also invested about as much money as i could possibly invest into a bed and found the most comfortable bed that I could possibly find. So I think people oftentimes don't put much money into that. It's like they spend $10,000 or $50,000 in their car and they go get a budget bed for 300 bucks <laughs> eight hours a night. So yeah. you know, I spent months researching, um, researching beds and trying different beds. And um, actually I'll tell you that I'd recommend, recommend the company called Helix. Uh, okay. You can essentially customize your bed. You can tell you basically this website and you can tell exactly what firmness level you want and different qualities of the mattress and they'll custom make you a mattress. It's, it's awesome. Wow. And it's actually not that expensive. It's, it's well worth it. 
So anyway, I invested a bunch of money in my bed and make sure I have, I have blackout blinds in my room. I have you know, really kind of the ultimate uh, setup for sleeping. And then I actually bought a, a cabin up in the mountains last year that I call my sleep dungeon because I've got no windows in there. It's <laughs> completely quiet out in the middle of the woods. And I usually go up there on the weekends and sleep. So nice. definitely definitely put quite a bit of effort into sleeping. Well, <laughs> it's, it's hugely important. That's great. The cabin is a nice idea too. I like that. Oh, yeah. Well worth it. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to stress management, where do you uh, where do you range in the scale here? Um, yeah, I'm actually pretty pretty relaxed most of the time, and I try to uh, you know do at least a few things a week to to cope with stress. My my big release is flying, obviously. So right, I go out and go out and fly a helicopter or seaplane or something, and just uh, get away, or I go to the cabin, like I talked about. That's kind of another reason I bought the cabin is. I think there's huge value in just kind of getting away from the city life, getting away from the hustle and bustle of of the stress of it all. So I typically go up to cabin at least once a week for a day or two and, and try to get a day or two of flying. And those are, those are both things that I do to help me cope with stress. And I, you know, just take myself out of the, the office stress and the life stress and just get away from it all. And it, uh, you know, it makes a huge difference. And I can tell you, just look at the numbers. There's so much value in, in forcing yourself to kind of get outside of the normal daily routine and get away from it. So, you know, some people don't live in the, a spot where they can, but you know, even if you just go somewhere that's you know, you personally find relaxing. There's there's a huge value in doing that. Right. Do you uh, do you make a note of trying to get outdoors, like in nature itself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my cabin's in the middle of the mountains for a reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love I love being outside and getting away from, like I said, just kind of getting away from the city noise, the city lights, the, the exhaust, and the traffic, and you know, all that stuff. And and unfortunately, you know, very fortunate, Seattle's. You know, I think one of the most beautiful cities in the in the in the country, and has pretty much every outdoor activity you could think of, and from boating to rivers and lakes and mountains and trees and forests. I mean, you can pretty much find every type of outdoor activity known to man out in Seattle area. So I, I definitely take advantage of it. Snowmobile in the wintertime and ski and get on the boats and fly all summer. So I'm, I, I think there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of value just being outside and being in nature for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, uh, training and exercise. Are you in the gym still? Or maybe how many days a week are you are you training these days? So I usually do three days of lifting, and then I play racquetball uh, for my for high intensity conditioning. Two days usually, and then I do some lower intensity recovery stuff a couple of days a week. Sometimes three, just kind of depending on what's going on. But I, I, and then summertime, spring and summer, I, I ride a bike a lot, so I do a lot of mountain biking. Um, let's kind of ride around here. So I do a variety of things. Racquetball's, you know, my way to way to get some intensity in that I find enjoyable. I'm not a big get the treadmill and sprint guy, but I'll I'll play racquetball for you know an hour or two and get a really good workout, and then next day come in and do recovery work. So yeah, um, you know, I do a do a variety of things. I certainly still still lift at least three days a week as well. Right. So just uh, I mix things up and, and like I said, pay attention to my recovery levels and change from there. Yeah, yeah, nice. When it comes to nutrition, what's your approach? It can be uh a deep, deep trough of misinformation, but where do you, where do you uh, stand on nutrition? Um, you know, I've, I've been going back and forth with different things over the years. I've tried pretty much everything you can try from keto to high carb, low carb, and really a variety. I tend to use a bit of intermittent fasting here and there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of stick to the, the usual, get a gram of protein per pound of body weight. You know, I vary my carbs based on my activity level and do a couple of days of intermittent fasting and then get enough good healthy fats. And I'm, I'm really boring, honestly. I eat the same things kind of day in and day out. I'm just a routine type of person, so I don't have a hard time sticking to yeah. you know, a plan. I just kind of eat the same, the same, same stuff: chicken and fish and 
steak and you know, basic carbs, depending on activities. Like I said, it's, it's pretty uh, pretty uneventful, but I do have my days of, of chocolate and pizza. Those are my two things that I'll throw in when I right. feel like I need to. But uh, you know, pretty pretty simple as far as diet is concerned. I don't over overly uh, complicate things. I have, I have a pretty easy routine to follow. Nice. If it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Awesome. Joel, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been immense. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again for having me on. And uh, for everybody listening, can you just kind of mention where they can find you on social media or your website and everything? Yeah, so I mean, the, the bulk of it, just 8weeksout.com is is the number 8, and then just Weeks Out is, is where we post all our articles. Uh, Morpheus is at trainwithmorpheus.com, so they can find stuff there, but you can also kind of get to that through 8 Weeks Out. And then the main Facebook page is just Facebook. Slash eight weeks out is where all of our uh, posts and social media stuffs followed. I'm not a not a Twitter and Instagrammer uh, much. Might need that one these days, but for now, just the Facebook page is the easiest way to to stay in touch or, or just go to the website. Great, great, awesome. All right, everyone listening at home, the email address here at the podcast is the Pillars of Health Pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, and also uh, hit us up on iTunes with a little review, we would really appreciate that. Again, thanks, Joel. Yeah, thanks, Ken. And everyone listening at home, until next time, we'll see you soon.